Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to the holiday season here in what is, by the time you read this, the very frigid state of Wisconsin. I am joined by Robert Craig, our Executive Director. Robert, good to have you. Good to have you. We're just seeing uh, the snow storm. It will be cold and windy. It's been downgraded in Milwaukee as of Thursday morning. We'll see. Uh, but just looking out my window, seeing what's going on there, we'll say the, I think with the snow, partial snow cover is a boon for eagles. The bald eagle that lives in the tree that's visible to me has uh, been very active this morning. <laughs> well, look, this is, um, welcome to Wisconsin. We're getting a very Wisconsin winter. We are, excuse me, holiday and Christmas season. We don't often get that sometimes. So that's always nice. Enjoy it, folks. We Wish y'all well and hope you get to take some time off over the next couple of weeks and spend some time with family or, or loved ones, whoever those folks may be. With that, we have got to talk about a number of things, both at the federal level and here in the state. Um, Robert, oh, and before we go any further, we will also be joined later in the show by leaders from the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals to talk about the uh, big news that uh, St. Francis Hospital here in Milwaukee is going to close their labor and delivery unit uh, later this month and why that we'll hear from them as to why that is so bad and is uh, likely to create essentially a labor and del delivery desert here in the Milwaukee area. Uh, but Robert, before we get into all that, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about what's gone on in Congress uh, and by that, I mean the Senate, the House, and the lame duck session. It is wrapping up. Um, and I want to get your response to an article we both read in the American Prospect um, by uh, David Dayan. And he makes the argument that the Democrats essentially sort of frittered away this session and missed a number of opportunities. Um, I won't get into all of the opportunities. I do suggest our listeners read the article, but his fundamental critique is that they really missed the opportunity to deal with not or didn't deal with the debt limit through reconciliation and that they had the ability to do this. They had the time. He admits it would was going to take it would be hard, but it definitely could be done. And that it essentially would take away what next year is clearly going to be just a weapon that the Republicans are going to use to go after Social Security, Medicare, all the things we care about and, and really try to hold hostage any governing uh, and, and put at risk a number of things. Robert, there are other things, but that is his major critique. Um, and, and before I kick it to you, he does put in the context that like. This is not to diminish, you know, the importance of what was accomplished before in the session, including the Inflation Reduction Act. But that does what he is saying is that does not mean they should have packed up and that there was a lot left on the table. One final thing, he compares it also to 2010 when the Democrats lost uh, control of Congress uh, after Obama's first term and suggests that a lot more was done then. So, Robert, you track this stuff a lot. I wanted to get your reaction to this because um, I, 
I, I think it's an important conversation. Yeah, and I was going to say that uh, David Dayen's a, a great journalist. He's the publisher of American Prospect. If you want to know, must reading according to both Matt Brusky and I. Matt was telling me that this article is organizing, so I'm going to give him due credit before we started recording. And I agree. I also want to organize back a little on this. So what he is saying is that we we shouldn't just buy the line from Democrats, look at the great things we did, everything's wonderful, hurrah, hurrah. Says so if you really look at things left on the table, and he goes to a lot more than, than I'm going to get into, uh, then they did much less than a lot of other Democrat lame ducks. Okay, so there's that question, uh, but we do want to hold that we got the we got the, the, the we got the critical Tammy Baldwin initiative on marriage equity. Now he throws David. I agree on this. A little them under the bush on this a bit, saying that you know it was an unpopular vote Ron Johnson got to avoid before his election. I don't think it makes Ron Johnson lose, and I think Tammy Baldwin was being a radical pragmatist and decided to move forward. But David and I can. I, I did, Robert, I thought that was the weakest part of the article. Yeah. I thought it was sniping at one of the actual successes that needed to be pointed out and um, is one of the weaknesses of the article. I, I, I thought that was unnecessary <laughs> and gratuitous. But but back to the story. <laughs> I was going to say, but good organizers can disagree on points. Correct. And the other big thing, quite frankly, is the Electoral Votes Count Act, because part of what made the insurrection possible was a complicated and poorly worded document that was done by a Gilded Age Congress to try to prevent what happened in 1876 and 1877, the crisis of 1876, which was a major constitutional crisis over uh, the electoral college reports from two critical states in, a, in, a, in, a, in an election. That's the one where Republicans gave away uh, reconstruction and return for the presidency, so also odious. Uh, and so they did do that. So the insurrection's a little harder, though there are plenty of other threats. So that is all good. But they left a whole lot of other things on the table. And here's what you have to divide them into, though, Matt. And David Dyan admits it with some of them. Some of them, we just don't have the majority to pass them because you need mansion and cinema. This is the old U.S. Senate. And that's real. And I'm not sure. I think the debt limit thing might be that, too. But Most of what he raises in the article, he suggests was filibuster proof and had either that or could be done like his big one, obviously it could be done much. through reconciliation. The first couple he mentions, he admits were hard and didn't and might not have had the vote. So I'm just saying that Schumer, because he's, he's saying Schumer decided to just rest on the August victories is what the day in frame is here. Um, I tend to think. This is where I differ from a lot, a lot of mainline Democrats, including Governor Evers. You want to force these votes in order to draw a line. But you probably do need to not force votes where Democrats, nominal Democrats like Manchin, are going to defeat you. So it is a judgment. It certainly seems to me there's a lot more that may, that could have been forced that would have at least put Republicans on the record. And I hope this is not about on the debt limit. Bring an idea that politically it will play to our advantage if they try to do this, and therefore we're going to take the risk. A little bit like funding. I'm worried about that. Fund the That's... insurrection of candidates in Republican primaries. That worries me that this is a political judgment because I differ even more with a lot of the Democratic political operatives on this sort of thing. And they may be saying, this is great. Let them close down the government. I think there was probably disagreement around that. 
And I think that that plays a role in why they weren't willing to put, as David admits in his in previous articles he wrote about this in November when he laid this out as a strategy, um, that it was going to take a couple of weeks and it was, it was going to take effort, right? They were going to have to work through, especially to get through reconciliation, big things. The other thing that he uh, also uh, rightly, Robert, the other thing he also rightly points out and is worth us mentioning is this Secure Act 2.0 is garbage. And um, there were efforts to make it better that when they failed, the thing should have probably been tanked. And it's pretty appalling that this is a Democratic bill because this is a this is just a massive tax break to wealthy folks, largely uh, guised as helping people. It's it's one of the more stinky, odious things in here that I, I do think is he's and, right to point out. And it tells you a lot about Democrat caucus. And that's not only yes. Manchin Cinema. That's the other, you know, very Their connection critical. to Wall Street, Robert. Yeah. Oh, which is uh Fund, funds Democrats more than Republicans. People need to bear in mind that that the, our party is not absent corruption. The corporate wing has its own corruption. So it, that is telling, uh, though I don't know politically about whether they had to have it. I mean, I'm sure there's a pragmatic argument that Schumann could make if I was personal friends with him and was having a beer. I'm not. Uh, and Thank so, God. Whew. Yeah, but the... Uh, our New York friends know him better, but not that well. It, it, our, our opposite number is people's action affiliates. But um, uh, the thing that would have been the game changer that is the most wrenching is the really kind of brilliant idea of, of tying these additional tax cuts for wealthy people to extending the child tax credit, which had reduced poverty by 40% yep. or more, depending on demographic group. And But Diane does admit that it would they just weren't the vote. So that can't be that that is more a problem of us needing to make the Democratic Party a bigger majority and more progressive, not a matter of it was on the table and Schumer decided not to do it. Well, look, Robert, I, I, I the reason I wanted to discuss this with you is I knew you could provide some perspective that I think is helpful for us as progressives. But um, again, want to encourage folks to read this. I think it's important for us because uh, we often get through your mainstream media, you know, you're either going to get a Democratic or a Republican kind of spin on something and they don't bring a lot of nuance. And so uh, it's important that that David wrote this piece to be very clear about what the missed opportunities are, what's still out there, what really needs to be a priority. And some of this stuff, you know, is still very popular. And this gets to what I've been talking about. We're about to go into a non really governing period at the at Congress. There will be stuff that will happen. There will be judges, but we need to be thinking about what are the most important, uh, both progressive bipartisan pieces, but just straight out progressive visionary pieces that we need to be pushing in the next 18 months, setting up will, what will be an election to determine whether we're going to um, actually have a progressive majority again uh, and can govern again and, after the next election. And let me promote progressive journalism a little. Uh, you know, American Prospect is great. I'm on the board of Indie Size Magazine, another go-to magazine for both Matt and I. And uh, since I'm on the board of Indie's Times, we're in the same space, American Prospect, with David Dian 
who would be their chief staff member, we do share information about, we have this problem, how did you handle it? It's sort of like the way Citizen Action Wisconsin might have, it has a relationship with say Wisdom or Wisconsin Conversation Voters where we're similar enough organizations that we compare notes and cross-pollinate. So I have a lot of respect for the folks at American Prospect. So we got to take a break. When we come back, Robert, we're going to talk more about, a little bit about um, progressive journalism. Another venue you did not mention is uh, Barnraiser. It's new. It's getting started. Uh, And you have an article in it that I want to get your comment on uh, after this break. And it is about, yeah, what do you know? The recent midterm elections and really takes a good job at looking at what our own agency is as individuals, as opposed to, shall we say, spectators. I know the World Cup. We're not just watching the brilliant Argentine victory, that we're actually participants on the damn field. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin, where Citizen Action. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are really fortunate to have two guests with us. Um, we are joined by Jamie Lucas. Jamie is the executive director of the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, and Connie Smith, who is the president of the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals. And we asked them to be here today to tell us, give you all, get you all fully educated on just what the heck is going on at St. Francis Hospital uh, in Milwaukee, on the south side of Milwaukee. It is owned by Ascension. And it they announced shockingly that they're going to shut down their labor and delivery unit, um, which I think is coming as a great surprise to a lot of folks. Jamie, I'm going to kick it to you first. Just could you get our listeners up to speed how this happened, why this happened? Yeah, um, thank you. And thank you for having us. Thanks for the invitation to be here. I appreciate you all very much. Um, we're here because, uh, uh, you know, Ascension, they are a billion dollar corporation, a Catholic not for profit entity that is supposed to serve the underserved. Um, they assumed operations of all our. Wheaton uh, facility hospitals in Milwaukee in about 2016, 2017, they were gifted that hospital. And then they immediately uh, started doing what Ascension does, which is to say they started reshuffling uh, services. They started not filling vacancies. They started causing what we feel are, are um, reduced staffing levels and what uh, have been verified to be reduced staffing levels. They were just profiled in the New York Times for their entire business practice and how it belies their their mission to the poor the conditions that they've caused for their healthcare workers don't in our opinion uh create the circumstances where patients are going to get the best care possible so uh they, they have a history of privatizing subcontracting shuffling services they quietly announced on friday that just to our staff after we demanded a meeting for about a week and a half two weeks with administration to talk about the future of the labor and delivery unit on this uh at saint francis and they told us, well, we're having this meeting with you because you asked for it and we're closing the unit. And we are like, wow, uh, that's terrible. Um, there's a lot to figure out. And the labor and delivery at St. Francis is the only labor and delivery service on the south side of Milwaukee. So it's going to create a big vacuum uh, for maternity care and pregnancy care that is really going to harm a lot, uh, you know, a very vulnerable patient population and a marginalized population that's already pretty marginalized. This is awful and quite shocking connie um again thank you for joining joining us connie smith president of the union connie you work at saint francis um 
I assume this came as a complete shock to to everyone. And um, tell us more about the reaction of the workers and what you're all doing and organizing to push back. Yeah, thank you for having me again. This is uh, a big thing to the workers here at St. Francis, not just the labor delivery workers, but that announcement last week, Friday, just kind of crushed the department of women, uh, mainly women, only women work in that department as nurses, but we do, we do have male physician, had male physician. Ascension has quit uh, hiring in services and removing services slowly from St. Francis in that labor and delivery unit. They got rid of a prenatal assessment center, which is a high-risk center for uh, any patient that would um, need some high-risk care before delivery. They closed that uh, probably late August, early September this year. Um, they have consistently not filled physician and nurse practitioner positions over the last several years since they took us on in 2017. There have been interviews with physicians who have said they've undercut pay compared to any other uh, ascension, even ascension labor and delivery. They are not them or offering them the same as somewhere else. Um, they haven't hired lactation consultants to help with um, feeding needs of babies, as well as in any positions for um, general staff like nurse and techs. And this is refreshing to even other departments who are here to support those workers up in labor and delivery, but also the fact that the OR, sometimes surgery part, goes up there and helps them. So that is the amount of that's going to be in three also. So we um, went to, I would call it this somewhat the street on Tuesday, and uh, we had that rally in front of City Hall. Uh, we marched um, in the streets on Tuesday. And we plan to do much more. So we have a petition out there that's going to need to be signed. We're asking people to make calls to um, City Hall and to pension, encouraging them to rebuild and rehire into the south side of Milwaukee's labor and delivery at Texas Hospital. We know that patients in the city here on the south side deserve that and more. So this is a huge concerned of public health, public safety, and quite frankly, to economic justice, because these are extremely valuable workers. They're being treated this way. We claim they're essential, uh, but they're not treated that way. So I think it's to give the audience broader context, and Jamie and Connie, you can react to what I'm going to say. This is part of an industrial consolidation and corporate and, 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 uh, and also kind of uh, a corporatization in healthcare that really gained speed in the 80s and 90s. And they've closed dozens and dozens of badly needed community hospitals. And there's actually a great book out there, which I just finished reading, but I know our audience actually likes, uh, some of them like uh, you know Christmas break or holiday break reading suggestions. It's a book called The Next Shift, The Fall of Industry and the Rise of Healthcare in Rust Belt America by Gabriel Winant, Harvard University Press. And it lays out that this is related to industrialization and what healthcare has become is not a charity, but an industry. And everything is about it. Jamie's holding it up. Our, our, our podcast listeners can't hear that, but Jamie Lucas knows about it, may even have read it um, or begun to. And so they... That everything is about cost 
and basically they're they don't they're not going to be they don't see themselves as profitable unless they really dump burden onto workers service workers nurses everyone in between those categories um and in addition close anything that because of payer mix does not pay them enough and they tend to go to places where they can get a lot of private pay that's lucrative for you know high high profit interventions not prevention so that's out in the growing more prosperous suburbs it's why ascension the largest you know, consolidation nonprofit hospital chain in the country tried to close st joe's hospital the only trickle access hospital left in the north side of milwaukee and then because there was public pressure they have been doing really a stealth downsizing which really began before the attempted closure and why you're suddenly getting things like this at st francis and so but we know from st joe's that public pressure can back them off because public relations is something they spend millions of dollars for their reputation is very important to them but more fundamentally, we need a movement that turns this around. They'll just try to find another way uh, to meet their to, to meet what they need to meet in order to get their, they don't call it profit, they call it net operating margin, even though they get nonprofit status and don't pay taxes. But uh, I, I, it just seems like this is part of a, a, a big trend. But what you're trying to do is the only thing that could stop them, at least temporarily, in their tracks. But then we need to build a lot more moving forward. Yeah, Robert, you you nailed it. We're we're living that playbook right now. Like this is the corporatization of healthcare. It's not terribly inventive. It's not creative. It's certainly not kind and and in line with the missions and visions and values that they pur pur purport to have. You know, there's there's so much that we can't control about our health, um, about our bodies, about the things that happen to us that put us in a hospital. But when we are there, we have to do the things within our control. Right. That means. Nurses and nursing assistants need safe staffing levels. They need to be well-rested. They need to be well-paid so that they can focus on caring for other humans. And Ascension's built a business model that takes what you just laid out, Robert, to the extreme. They're in many ways the, the worst embodiment of the corporate healthcare playbook. And um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, public pressure and, and, and Ascension knows this. They, they understand this. That's why they ingratiate themselves to the community. That's why they sponsor the Milwaukee Brewers. They sponsor all our sports teams. They sponsor WISN 12's health section of their website, which is we think that's part of the reason why when we held the press conference two, three weeks before this New York Times article dropped about the issues at St. Francis and the, the dire straits we were in, this is before they announced the closure we could see the writing on the wall with labor and delivery. We didn't get any local coverage because uh, I think local newsrooms are not resourced to do that. So we need mass collective action. We need a mass uprising of people mm -hmm. who care about healthcare, of healthcare workers. If you're not organized, organize a union, reach out to us. And, uh, we need people putting pressure right. on city officials. Uh, we'll have uh, uh, some infographics for to call uh, Mayor Chevy Johnson and the administrator of the hospital as well, Jonathan. And, and demand that they reverse this decision because that's the only thing that's going to work here. They know it looks bad. We can win if we fight together. And that's why we're so grateful to have this platform. So it was just laid out for you crystal clear what's behind this, what's happening. And so you need to call immediately, get in touch. That is job one. Do it right away. The second thing here is we need to organize more folks if you're a healthcare worker and you're listening to this, reach out to Jamie. The reason this might get stopped 
is because these workers are organized and they are bringing this to our attention and they're doing a huge public health service. Reach out to organize at WFNHP.org, please. This is, this is a huge public service that we are even being told this and we are, thank you, thank you, Connie. Thank you to all of your members not only for the work you do, but the courage to, to fight and stand up and not just take this. So please, people, please. Um, we gotta, we have to take a break, but I want to, if you guys are good, come back, Connie, I want to give you another opportunity uh, to, 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 to let people know why you guys mentioned it, this, what it would mean if we didn't have access to labor and delivery services the hollowing out that they are trying to do and why this is so important we'll have that right when we come back folks you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we're talking with connie smith she's the president the wisconsin federation of nurses and health professionals and jamie lucas the executive director connie works at St. Francis Hospital, where they are shutting down the labor and delivery unit. Connie, please tell our listeners more. Just, it's really important because we're asking them to get involved. What it means when a labor and delivery unit, and Robert mentioned what's going on at St. Joe's, the hollowing out of our city services for something as critical as labor and delivery. Sure. You know, what it means is what it means, uh, what happened just recently here at St. Francis. Um, in the process of them slowly doing this, they've um, closed services to labor and delivery um, on some weekends because they couldn't staff it um, by their own, um, the things they have done to the staff there. So they weren't able to staff it. And over a weekend, they had a patient walk into the ER and uh, deliver a baby in the emergency room. Now there was a doctor and a nurse practitioner there, but that's not where you deliver babies. You deliver babies in labor and delivery units. This baby and this mom were high risk and they ended up uh, trying to transfer out after delivery, both of them being high risk, having to go out into an ambulance to another facility and uh, even getting an ambulance there to do that transfer around the city is, is hard and is a shame that they couldn't go up to a bed and be cared for in our NICU and be cared for by nurses here that know how to take care of them and specialize with them. No, nothing bad to ER staff here because they're wonderful nurses. Delivering babies is not their specialty. So this will be what we have. You know, we have a huge snowstorm coming and tomorrow is the last day that unit opens. And if all the people in the neighborhood don't know that may be having a baby and they show up on this ER step, what's going to happen to try to get across town in a snowstorm to deliver a baby? This is insane. And it's, it's scary. It's appalling, folks. Please. You heard Connie. You heard Jamie. I need you to get on the phones. You need to call Mayor Chevy Johnson. We're also going to have a petition. Uh, by the way, Chevy Johnson's number is 414-286-2200. That is let, the mayor's me, office. Let me add, I mean, the mayor 
didn't make this decision, but Ascension cares what the Milwaukee says. It costs them money and prestige if the mayor calls them out on this. So that's why getting the mayor to take public action is critical in this. It's very important. Robert is absolutely right. Public, their public image is so important. Uh, Jamie mentioned it, all the money and the resources. That is their kryptonite. And that gives us power. It gives these these workers who have courageously stood up and 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 told us what's going on, uh, that gives us power. We need to use it. Uh, we're, there will also be a petition uh, that uh, will be going around. We will circulate that as soon as we get access. It may even be up. It should be up, hopefully, with the uh, podcast. If not, keep checking our socials. We will have that. Uh, Jamie, I'm going to give you the last word on this Uh Uh, final thoughts for our listeners. We can have world-class, beautiful healthcare facilities that care for all of us in our own communities without having to travel. There's enough money in healthcare to, if, if these corporations chose to, and if we make them invest in us and in our health in the ways that we know we need, we can have a beautiful healthcare system. Hospitals, they they skirt by without any scrutiny whatsoever because of those mission statements, because of the the PR that they do. But, you know, they didn't talk to anybody before they made this decision. We have to we have to give them the feedback that they forgot to seek. And when we do that and when we leverage our collective power, we can invest those billions of dollars that Ascension has in reserves. We can invest those billions into our community remedy our health inequities we can we can allow babies to be born and brought into this world and be supported throughout their lives with love and resources and and the things that they need so this is really i believe if we can fix healthcare, we can fix everything um in this country and uh uh it's the power of the people that are going to do that so thank you for having let me let me add to jamie's point look this corporate healthcare system they are using trading on the reputation of the philanthropic efforts that they took over, but they've become a wolf in sheep's clothing. So that's part of the product they bought, right, is the reputation of facilities that were often built by community members, by cities, as, as, an, as a public amenity um, and run by actual nonprofit institutions. And so they're trading on that, and that's valuable to them, and only us taking action can diminish and challenge that value and force them to do the right thing. They'll only do the right thing if we force them to do so because they will face public outrage and political pressure if they do not. Well, folks, this may be a discussion specifically, and it is about St. Francis Hospital, but this model, it it's it's coming to all our communities. You're probably already feeling it. So this this is an important fight that transcends even St. Francis, but we need folks you to get involved, make those calls. Jamie, Connie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, and most of all, uh, thank you for, for fighting for the health of, of this community. And again, folks, organize at WFNHP.org. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. So Robert... I want to transition us because I what I loved about that last conversation with Connie and is is the agency that those nurses and that all union workers have in their own 
sort of experience that they're going through. They just, things don't just happen to them. They're actively engaged and they're helping shape the situation. And the transition that I want to make is to an article um, that you wrote uh, just got, it just went up yesterday. It's in Barnraiser, a, a new online um, uh, news and it's broader than news, but um, news and entertainment uh, venue that you'll tell us more about. But the big thing is you wrote an article that really tried to get, and I'll let you tell more about it, but what I liked about it was it really tried to center in people's evaluations of what just happened in the midterm elections, and quite frankly, any election, our own agency in the election, as opposed to us just being bystanders kind of watching a sporting event like the world cup robert tell us more about this article you wrote essentially what are you trying to say and um of course as we go on also love you to just tell us a little bit more about barn raiser too because we are really interested in uh progressive media yeah barn raiser is a new rurally focused publication We've had something to do with birthing it. It grew out of a rural reporting project in the size magazine did. And as I mentioned before, I'm on their board. And myself and our former executive director of People's Action, who is a great rural organizer, George Gale, actually not only supported this and worked with it, but helped uh, validate it to potential funders. And what it addresses is that there's a huge uh, media desert in rural areas and it's often being filled out you you can you can google search this i mean i'll just web search it don't use google um that um uh there are a lot of articles about how the right is filling in on that and creating publications with that have no new local news and then putting trump maga stuff in there this is the progressive version but it's real it is not misleading people so it does deal with rural culture and rural rural life but there's also a folk, there's also a major focus on politics, on government, and what really needs to happen to rebuild and revitalize rural areas. So this is a, a, a magazine, an online magazine worth tracking called Barnraiser. And so we'll provide a link within the uh it's so new it may be, I'm not gonna say it pops right up. So it it just, I mean, it just started uh maybe within the last 10 days. Um so uh this article debriefing really the 2022 election in Wisconsin, uh, you know, came out of a lot of conversations. The program we ran with all of my citizen action colleagues, with and aligned with our national partner, People's Action, the national federation that we helped form and that we're a part of, and so it was done in other People's Action states like Michigan, like uh, North Carolina, other battleground states that used a similar model, and what it addresses is that we had an extremely close election right this is the two historically the two uh the the closest u.s senate race since 1914 since the first in wisconsin and the last two gubernatorial elections the closest since 1964. uh so the battleground state status of wisconsin that used to be just in presidential elections starting really in about 2000 has now gone to midterms and in fact, this is the first election ever where there were close U.S. Senate and governor's races on the same ballot in all of Wisconsin history. So there's a change here. And I think it's because our elections have been nationalized and Wisconsin is one of the states that determines national power and because of the MAGA threat to democracy. 
But uh, this election was much more like a national election than a typical uh, Wisconsin election. Now, what I'm going to get to, I know we're getting near to the break of this segment, is what that means for us as to how we win and which voters matter and, and what, what is progressive strategy and specifically what do progressive leaders and activists need to be doing. Matt, spoiler alert before the next segment, Matt mentioned having our own agency, not being money morning quarterbacks and just shouting from the bleachers, which too many people have fallen into with our modern pundit culture. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to The Battleground, Wisconsin. Robert is telling us about an article he wrote in the new media outlet, Barn Razor. And in particular, before we went to break, Robert, you were just about to tell us about the importance of our own agency in elections that, like, we got to stop just being Monday morning quarterbacks, telling everybody what the hell they should be doing is part of your point. I think let's us hear more. Now, analysis is different than money work and quarterbacking. So good organizing looks at power, looks at what will make a difference comes and figures out how average can affect those outcomes. So it's a different way of looking at context. So I talked about how close Wisconsin elections, midterms and presidentials are now at the statewide level. We have to leave aside the gerrymandering of the legislature, unfortunately, not more unfinished business. And what that does is it means we have more power to affect the outcome if they're that close. Okay, the Mandela Barnes race was 26,000 votes. That is a flippable, uh, to create a verb, margin. The second thing is, even though we've been a battleground state now, presidential and now midterm for 20 years, the composition of the vote is dramatically changing. So what's happened is rural areas, any areas that don't have high population density, exurbs, uh, towns, they're, they're going more and more red, uh, not only cities, but suburbs, especially densely populated suburbs, are going bluer and bluer. And so voters are in motion. So that means we need to, the map of Wisconsin change, even though we're still a battleground state, the electoral map dramatically. But the other thing is when, when voters are in motion, they're actually more persuadable. Once people are habituated, once you're an Irish Democrat in New York in the 19th century, you're voting for the Democratic Irish machine in New York period, there's nothing to persuade you. When you've moved recently or you're still splitting tickets, then you're more persuadable. But ticket splitting has gone down. You have to hold two ideas. Used to be 75% of Wisconsin electorate 20 years ago. Now it's 5%. So it's a smaller number. Now, what's happening is because we had this anomalous situation where an African-American, more progressive candidate, narrowly lost. Now, he was running against an incumbent, and no one defeated a U.S. Senate incumbent this cycle. Remember that. And two much more moderate Democratic incumbents won. Remember, they're incumbents, Tony Evers and Josh Call, the attorney general. Uh, a lot of the Democratic establishment consultants have an interest in saying, this means you should be more moderate. And part of what this article takes on is, no, because a lot more voters are base voters. Elections, in terms of the number of voters, are now about whether your base turns out at the same level the other does, but then the tiebreaker is the much smaller number of swing voters, okay? So we need to do both. If we don't have progressive excitement and real issues that improve people's lives to progress at base, we lose no matter what the independent voters do. So what that means is Tony Evers and Josh Call benefited from Mandela's efforts but that's not visible to a lot of people, or some people don't want us to see that. But it does come down to agency because what we found is, and this is the 
organizing matters. We did, did, and we're not the only ones, People's Action and, and other allies like SEIU were doing this in multiple states, what is called a deep canvas. We talked about it a lot on Battleground Wisconsin. It is not transactional communication where we just knock on their door and call them and tell them how to vote. We have a conversation and try to figure out, try to find people who are what we call cross-pressured. That is, they actually want to, would vote on healthcare or a progressive economy or, or progressive taxation or, or school funding, but they also hold, they're scared by those scary propaganda on the airwaves that were flooded against Mandela Barnes on crime, a racialized vision of crime. But if you have a conversation with a lot of them and work that through, then they will shift their vote. And we had a, a rate of shift of 11%, which is huge. That is much bigger election impact than any TV or radio ad. There's numbers on this. It's uh, up to 100 times more effective. And we did a lot of this, 109,000 attempted contacts by citizen action volunteers and our organizers and field staff this cycle. But we need to get more, and that's why we need to get more people off the sidelines. We have too many, including our best members, who don't go out and volunteer, don't make phone calls, and they simply go on social media and they money morning quarterback or to their friends about what the Democratic Party of Mandela Barnes should do, what Hattie should run, et cetera. By the way, um, it's, and I'll just say this, right? You learn a lot going out and talking to people on the doors. And it's incredibly instructive. It's always, in, it, it, I must say, a little frustrating when you talk to people who you knew hadn't done any doors and would start telling you about <laughs> what undecided voters are thinking or what should be done. And it's just like, you know, I think it's important. We need to be smarter in terms of the data and polling and research is important in it, in messaging and communication, understanding what's going on and what our general trends that we're swimming in, very important. But if you don't get out on the doors, if you don't talk to people, one, you don't find out how is that actually comporting with real people's lives in the gaps in the polling, which we all know and are frustrated with, but it also gives you the nuances. And Robert says this all the time, and it is important. One-on-one, -on -one, we're interpersonally persuasive. We are much more capable of being able to crack people and get them to think maybe a little bit differently. That sticks with them for a while. This stuff's important. Want to encourage you all to really challenge yourself post-COVID. Maybe you never did doors even before COVID. To get out this next spring, even when the weather's not great. And go try to knock doors with us or make phone calls with us. We're going to have a significant program next spring. We are planning to get back out on the doors. We'll be out a lot next spring, but also phones. And we need your support. But it all starts, folks. We got the Supreme Court race, Robert. I'm going to transition you into 2023. Big, 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 big race. It's historically important. And we now have. Uh, two clearly self-described conservatives and two candidates that are quite frankly vying to beat them and give us control potentially of this Supreme Court. We're going to have a forum with the two leading progressive candidates on January 11th, where they will be answering questions that are 
important to our vision of the world and what we'd like to see, we really want you to get involved uh, in that. And again, it's going to be on January 11th. We'll put links in there. Please get signed up. And also we're going to have a link for you to sign up to volunteer to say you want to help volunteer when we get our program up and off the ground. Robert, thoughts? We've got 2023. It's right around the corner. Uh, it's right after these holidays. The next thing you know, we're in the thick of another critical election cycle. And we haven't even begun to talk about some very important local races uh, throughout the state. Uh, mayors are up. Eric Genrick is up. Uh, Corey Mason is up in Racine. In Milwaukee, we've got some critical uh, uh, city council races. But Robert, uh, before we go, just some of your thoughts uh, t- about 2023. So what I say at the end of the barn raiser piece we just talked about is that I quote, the mid-century philosopher John Dewey's line that the that the best uh, you know solution to the ails of democracy is more democracy, which is a play on a Madison James Madison term about republicanism, small r republicanism. Uh, he's actually misquoted in a lot of ways because it's interpreted as just keep doing what we're doing. He actually says that if we keep doing it the way we've been doing it before, it'll fail because it's failing now. So we have to reinvent, revitalize democracy. That's why we call it an organizing revival citizen action and our allies and people's action are calling it that. So I want us, we we made great progress this election and had a much larger number of people making these calls, knocking these doors. But now we have, because it, it's like the Badgers, I know I didn't want to use sports analogies, barely lost a buzzer beater against a great team, but now they got another game. So this is our chance to win that game, win the next game. And if we do this, we have a Supreme Court that's actually a court and not legis- not right-wing legislators. And so this is our opportunity to lean into our own agency because that's what democracy is. Democracy be saved by us, not by the Democratic Party spending $20 million more million that they spent in Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. That's not revitalizing to democracy. And in fact, we know where that money comes from. It comes from people that constrain what the Democrats can do to help their own public. The same clowns who gave us that lousy, what what do they call it? Secure 2.0 <laughs> act. The same jokers. Um, That's look, their price. That's their pound exactly. of flesh. Exactly. We they they very happy <laughs> with the lame duck session. Oh, folks, look, remain optimistic. Don't forget you have agency. Remember Connie Smith and the folks in that labor delivery unit who were when delivered some horrendous news last Friday, they didn't sit around and whine. They organized and are making demands of the mayor of Milwaukee to do the right thing. And all of us to step up, we are more powerful, please folks. We really need you to get involved so it starts again sign up for the supreme court forum we'll have that link sign up to get involved making calls talking to people challenging yourselves uh 2023 is just around the corner we're excited about it please get involved we have a huge opportunity and let me just remind you the garbage that flooded the airwaves around the mandela race it's coming back and with the supreme court race don't think it ain't going to be a highly racialized gross election we have ability to cut through all of that we need you folks want to thank connie smith for being on the show this week of course 
Also want to thank Jamie Lucas, both from the Wisconsin Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals. Of course, want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes this podcast happen every week. People, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>